Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This famous prayer can be found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Yeshua gave us this example during his Sermon on the Mount, when he explained how to live for God and keep his word. Prayer is an important part of our journey with God, and it began all the way back in the book of Genesis. While it may not be as popular, fasting is also a key spiritual discipline. Both these practices, prayer and fasting, are meant to be simple but they can be easily misrepresented or misunderstood. In this episode, we are going to explore the Jewish origins of prayer and fasting according to scripture and discuss how we can engage in these disciplines with the right heart. We have invited back one of our ministry partners from the UK, Fiona Sorbala, to join us for this episode. Fiona, welcome back to Our Hope. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad you're able to join us again. Um, I know last time we asked you about your favorite food, and I remember your story about the cheesecake for Shavuot. And so <laughs> today we want to ask you a different question. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, actually, it was on a poster, oh. and it was a play on words, and it went something like this. Seven days without prayer makes one week, mm. spelt W-E-A-K. That is awesome. And the reason being is that a prayerless life is a powerless life. Mm. And prayerlessness means that we are unable to access the resources and equipping that is to be found in God. That is such a perfect quote for this episode. We're actually going to jump right into this uh, discussion on prayer now. Before we can start this conversation, it's important to ask, what is prayer? Because 
It could be many different things to many different people. And why do we pray? I think at its simplest, prayer is simply a conversation between you and God. And it's foundational to relationship with God. All relationships, they live and die based on the quality of communication that exists. And prayer is the breathing of our relationship. When breathing stops, a person dies. And when prayer stops, our relationship with God dies. And Jewish prayer is designed to help an individual express faith and belief in God while reminding us of our dependency on God. And I think that's really helpful as a way of looking at what prayer is. Mm. I love how you frame it in terms of the relationship. And we hear in scripture about a few people who had a very special relationship with God. One of them was Abraham. And we read back in Genesis that he spoke with God directly. I'm thinking specifically of when he interceded for Lot when Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be destroyed. What does this this conversation show us about the nature of prayer? Well, if you go right back to Adam and Eve, when they communicated with God, they conversed with him. They talked freely. They were uninhibited by sin or shame. And their conversation was warm and intimate. They talked as they walked in the cool of the evening. The first time that we read elsewhere about prayer is in Genesis 4. Mm -hmm. But that's all it says. The people began to call on the name of the Lord. But when we look at Abraham, we see that prayer begins with God. And as Abraham speaks to God, he begins to understand what prayer is and what it can be. In Genesis 15, he questions God on how God will fulfill the promises made to him in Genesis 12, namely that from him would come a great nation. But it's as they talk that his faith grows. We can read that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. In fact, I think in scripture, all prayers actually begin with God. So when we get to the encounter, in Genesis 18, something really interesting has happened. We read that God decided to reveal to Abraham what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. And we have what is now considered to be the first real prayer. And it's actually a prayer of intercession as he pleads for the lives of the inhabitants, not for all of the inhabitants, mm. but for those righteous inhabitants of the city. His prayer is based on what he knows to be true about God and the character of God. And we can see that Abraham trusts him enough to be quite bold. He's almost saying, but God, you surely can't do that. You would really destroy a whole city, including the righteous. Mm. And so he's challenging God. But I think like Moses, the boldness to challenge God grows on, out of their understanding and their relationship with God. Moses will actually say to God, seriously, if you don't go with us, how will the nations know that we're your people? And when God gets frustrated with his people and says, come on, Moses, I'll make a nation from you. Moses says, you can't because you made promises to Abraham. Yeah. In other words, these prayers of intercession are prayers that are bold but they flow out of relationship. And importantly, 
they're based on the understanding of who God is and what his promises are. I love how you frame that with God initiating the conversation with us. I think we often think of prayer as just us talking to God out of, you know, the blue or out of thin air. But uh, I think the Holy Spirit does draw us into the conversation. So when we look at prayer in the Old Testament, does it work the same way as it does now in the New Covenant era? You know, were we, were the Israelites always able to speak with God directly the way we think of prayer? Or was there something that had to happen in the temple for them to pray? In both the tabernacle and the temple, there were certain rituals. We can actually see it in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, verse 10, where we read the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Mm. So the high priest would make an offering for himself at the, uh, the brazen altar, and he would seek pardon for his own sins before he goes into the holy place to offer a sacrifice of incense at the golden altar which essentially was an altar of worship. And as the high priest prayed, it was said, at least by the rabbis, that as the incense, the smoke goes up, it would carry the prayers of those gathered in the outer courts to God. The priest there was standing before God. Now, that was quite literally, because the, the altar of incense was placed in front of the curtain behind which was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was and the presence of God was above the mercy seat. Mm. So literally, the high priest there was standing before God on behalf of the people. But something really interesting happened in Numbers 16. There's the rebellion of Korah and his followers. And at the end of it, Moses in chapter 16 and verse 46 says, take a censer, put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense upon it. Carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly and behold the plague which had already begun among the people. And as he put the incense and made atonement and he stood between the dead and the living, the plague was stopped. The rabbis teach that the altar of incense was a place for establishing peace between the people of Israel and their father in heaven. We think of incense as sweet and fragrant, but actually some of the herbs in it were pungent and would smell quite bitter, pointing to the fact that it wasn't the incense that was fragrant. It was the offering of the incense that was fragrant and pleasing to the Lord. And our prayers represent the offering of incense. But as you read the Old Testament, you find the people of God clearly prayed not only in the tabernacle in the wilderness or later in the temple, but wherever the need arose. Gideon, for example, talked with God while hiding in the wine press. Daniel prayed with God in the exile in Babylon. So it's not where you pray, but it's the how and the why of prayer that actually counts. That is awesome. And I love that 
We see some really powerful examples of prayer in the Old Testament. And it's amazing the way it worked with the tabernacle and the incense being offered. But also how, I guess you would say, the incense kind of covered everybody's prayers, whether they were present at the tabernacle or at the temple or not, would you say? Well, I think that's what the rabbis would say. Mm. But I don't think that incense has ever been a requirement for God to hear the prayers of his people. Mm. It was part of the ritual life, rituals in the life of Israel, Mm. both in the tabernacle and the temple, were designed to help the people lean into God, to have relationship with him. And without them, they would have done their own thing and most likely fallen away, as we often do. Yeah. Prayer is definitely how we lean into that relationship with God. In light of how the Old Testament portrays prayer and even the New Testament, you mentioned the temple worship during the Second Temple period. What does modern Judaism teach about prayer? Actually, that's quite simple. For them, prayer is known as tefillah, and it's considered to be the service of the heart that replaces the service within the life of the temple. But to use maybe more contemporary terms, it's the human heart ministering before God and to God. And it combines both the ritual and the liturgical prayers with personal devotion. So looking at prayer now, how do we pray? Is there a specific format? Is there a specific posture for prayer? What is the way we should pray? Well, Jewish people traditionally pray standing up, and it's based on a text in Leviticus 26, verse 1, about not having idols and not setting yourselves graven images or memorial pillars. And then it says you will not set up an image of stone in your land in order to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Now, in the ancient world, a stone was placed before the idol, and worshippers actually knelt on it to pray. So kneeling was considered to be pagan and a pagan form of worship. So the rabbis of old in the Talmud prohibited Jewish people from kneeling during prayer in order to distinguish the worship of God from that of pagan idolatry. But actually, if prayer is simply your heart communicating or conversing with God, it's not about whether you sit, stand or lie flat on your face. And even though some people will find liturgical prayers helpful in guiding their thoughts or even helping them to express themselves to God, we find that there are a number of written prayers within the New Testament, and the Psalms themselves are incredible prayers expressing worship, hope, and truth. Are there different kinds of prayers in Scripture? Oh, yes. I've given six. I should probably should have had seven. But let's do six very briefly. Different kinds of prayer. Confession. Acknowledging our sin and asking for God's mercy and forgiveness. Thanksgiving. That's thanking and praising God for what he's done for us in Messiah and for the things that he's given us. Adoration. Praising God for his greatness and admitting our dependence on him. Worship, honoring him for who he is and reflecting back to him what you know to be true about him. Petition, asking God for something 
that might be healing. It might be courage. And hopefully we ask for wisdom on a regular basis. Then number six is intercession. Asking God, as Abraham did in the example we gave, to intervene. And so intercession is when we ask God for his divine intervention in the lives of others. And I suppose to be super spiritual, I could add seven in and have spiritual warfare. We'll be right back. During these difficult times, we know how hard it is to hold on to hope. And we want you to know that Chosen People Ministries is here for you. If you have any prayer requests, our prayer team is standing by to receive them. You can submit your request at chosenpeople.com forward slash pray. Again, that's chosenpeople.com forward slash pray. Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. So Fiona, how do we know if God hears our prayers? The testimony of scripture shows us all the people who prayed all of these kinds of prayers and the Lord heard them and responded to them. But I only realized when after I'd written this down, but you're going to read the same text at the end. Mm -hmm. We've been invited by God to come to his throne of grace. And it's there that we receive the mercy, the grace that we need whenever we face a difficulty. But this throne, who's on it? God is on it. Who's beside him? Our own high priest, the one who's suffered in every way like we have, the one who's able to sympathize. And so for me, prayer is that moment where my feet might be on earth, but my heart and my words are actually in heaven. And it prayer bridges heaven and earth. It bridges my humanity and my frailty with God's divine, awesome power. And I'm absolutely convinced that he's a, a prayer answering, covenant keeping God. Amen. Yes. I am so grateful that we have that high priest, Yeshua, in heaven, interceding for us on our behalf. Now we're going to talk about... Um, a key discipline in our walk that may not be as popular with a lot of people. I know it's not my favorite thing, but there are times when I've done this and I, I saw the benefit of it, and this is fasting. Now, 
Fiona, what exactly is fasting? Because we hear about fasting all the time today with our culture. People talk about intermittent fasting and dieting. But what is, what is fasting in relationship to prayer in our spiritual walk? Well, if fasting is the withholding of food and water, particularly in Judaism, mm. uh, it's a demonstration that the needs of the soul outweigh the needs of the body. It's a way of denying yourself so that you're saying that I'm making more time and space in my heart and in my life for God. And I'm choosing to use a very Christian expression to put the needs of the flesh to death. Mm. And what I'm doing is I'm ignoring the needs of the body in order to serve the needs of my heart and my soul. It makes the time I would spend eating or cooking, I can spend in prayer. And that's about for that period, whether it's for six hours or 12 hours or 24 hours, we're saying that I want to focus on God and make more space in my heart and in my life for him. Mm. Well, we, when we think about fasting, I know as part of this ministry, I often think about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is when the Jewish community around the world is fasting. Um, does fasting play a role in any other aspects of Judaism? Well, there are actually six traditional fasts in Judaism, and wow. um, they are mainly, other than Yom Kippur, they're mainly connected to sorrow for the dreadful things that have happened to the Jewish people. Um, but it's a really interesting one, fasting in the Old Testament, because when we think of Yom Kippur and fasting, the scripture doesn't actually say fast. Mm. Actually, it says, afflict your souls. The modern um, versions say, humble yourself. But it's come to mean the fast from food and water. But when you connect it to the call in Joel 2 verse 12, we read, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. So fasting within Jewish thinking has become connected to repentance. And that's why on Yom Kippur we fast mm -hmm. as the means of afflicting our souls, of denying ourselves. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I have wondered about that because it does say in the verse itself to just afflict your soul. And so I do wonder sometimes about the the bridge between that and fasting. So thank you for explaining that. In light of this, what exactly does the Bible tell us about how to fast? Well, if fasting is considered as an offering to God, Isaiah 58 provides us with God's perspective on fasting. It tells us what fasting is, but also what fasting isn't. But there's a little verse tucked in Isaiah 58, verse 4, that we often miss. And the, the second half of the verse reads this, Fasting like yours on this day will not make your voice heard on high. And God is making clear something that echoes um, the Psalms of David. And in Psalm 51, verse 16, we read, for you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart of God you will not despise. 
And the meaning of what Isaiah 58 is getting at is that the attitude of the person who fasts is important. If you come to your fast while arguing with others, will your prayers be heard? In short, no. The verse also is teaching the importance of coming with the right heart. And it goes back to the Jewish idea that prayer is the service of your heart. Another thing that in Isaiah 58, when you take alongside the teaching of Yeshua is, it's not the volume of your prayers or your skill in constructing your prayers that ensures your prayers are heard and admired by others. That's not what makes that will allow your prayers to be heard in heaven. It's the attitude of the heart that counts. And actually what God was saying in Isaiah 53 is, it's actually more important to obey my commandments than to fast. And he says, the fast I desire is the good things you do. It's loosing the chains of the oppressed. It's feeding the poor. It's caring for the widow. It's about us reflecting God's heart to those less fortunate than ourselves and demonstrating God's care for them. I grew up being taught we are God's hands mm. in the world. It's with our hands that we raise somebody up. It's with our arms that we embrace the lonely. So the fast that God wants is our hearts being extended to meet the needs of others. Mm. I love that connection between fasting is, is more than just giving up food right? If our heart is, like you said, if it's not in the right place, it's not going to be effective. But it also forces us or it makes us think about others who may not have as much or who may be uh, lacking in some area. And it makes us think about them as well and how we can intercede and bless others. So thank you for mentioning that. What exactly does Yeshua tell us about fasting in the New Testament? Oh, well, he tells us something I think that's quite important in Matthew 6, and that is that in the ancient world, they had got into the habit of covering themselves with sackcloth and ashes and demonstrating their spirituality and their humility. But it is a very false humility. And actually what Yeshua told them was this, go and get washed, put on clean clothes and anoint yourself. In other words, for me, it would be, Fiona, get dressed smartly, put on your makeup, mm -hmm. present your usual face to the world so that your fasting is an act that takes place in secret. In other words, it's just between you and God. And mm -hmm. so that, that is the kind of fasting that Yeshua wants. When we give things up for God, don't boast about it. When you fast, don't tell others about it. Just get on with it and get on with making more space for God in your hearts. That reminds me of what Yeshua also says about when we when we give, when we give to the poor or, you know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing or left hand know what your right hand is doing. So in light of why and how to fast, do we do we change any outcomes when we fast? Does it because I know we see, for example, in the book of Esther, she tells um, the Jewish people in Persia to fast before she goes to the king. And I've read that passage and I thought to myself, 
does the fasting and prayer um, affect what will happen to Esther? Or is there another purpose for it? So does fasting change any outcomes to our prayers? Yes and no. Mm. Fasting is ultimately for our benefit. When we fast, we're focusing on God. In our very busy lives, there's often very little space to God, little space to give to God. And fasting is about, as I've said before, making room for God. It's about offering more of ourselves, taking the focus off our physical needs or even our emotional needs. Some have suggested that a modern fast might look like fasting from our mobile phones or from social media. Yeah. In other words, or for me, it might be TV before bed. In other words, the time we would normally spend on these, we spend instead on prayer. In other words, the act of fasting will no doubt mean we will actually spend more time in prayer, more time communicating with God, more time listening to him. So it's not the, the fasting that changes the outcome. It's that fasting changes our behavior. And it's the change in our behavior that helps us get our hearts right so that we're in a better position to hear from God and respond to what God is saying. There is a danger in saying that fasting changes the outcome of prayer because it would make fasting a way of guaranteeing the outcome and would amount in perhaps even to spiritual manipulation. I don't think there's a formula to guarantee the outcome of your prayers because that would be tantamount to bypassing God's sovereign will. Yet some might say that when Yeshua was speaking of deliverance and said that some situations require prayer and fasting, I think what he meant is that the prayer and the fasting help us to align our hearts and our minds with God. And in so doing, we're submitting to his Lordship and we're leaning into him for the resources we need. If I'm faced with a a situation and I just sort of jump in willy-nilly, am I doing it in my strength or in God's strength? Mm. I think prayer and fasting changes the outcome of our prayer only in as much as it changes us so that we are in a place where God will answer us. Mm. That reminds me of something I read once. Would you say that prayer in itself, even prayer on its own, is more to align our hearts with God's heart? Absolutely. But I think in doing that, we mustn't leave out the word of God. That when you look at all the list of forms of prayer, how many of them contain God's word and require God's word in order to actually be an effective form of prayer. So when I pray God's word, I know I'm in line with his will. I know my heart is agreeing with what he says, and it's not about what I want to happen. And I think that's the benefit of prayer and fasting. It's about changing our hearts and bringing them in line with God's will and God's way. You just reminded me of the verse. I I don't remember where it is. You might remember. Um, Jesus says that when we ask anything according to his will, he will do it. And that's always been the caveat for me because um, I recently went through a a rough time with prayer when I uh, was getting a little bit just 
too concerned with praying for God's will versus my own will. And I just started tacking on if it's your will to the end of every prayer request because I was like, I I just want to make sure, you know, I want your will. I don't want to look like I don't want your will. But uh, one thing I'm learning is that um, if I'm spending time in the word, then a lot of the things I'm asking for will align with God's will. Because for example, his will is that none should perish. So if I'm praying for a loved one to come to faith in Yeshua, then I'm praying according to God's will. So, Absolutely. So Fiona, as we wrap up this episode, we know that prayer and fasting are practices which are embraced by both the Christian and the Jewish communities. So how can the conversations surrounding both of these practices open the door for sharing about the Messiah? Well, Jewish people understand prayer primarily in terms of liturgy. A a religious Jewish person knows that God hears him when he prays, but he doesn't expect to hear God's voice or be able to discern God's will through prayer. Sharing our own experience of answered prayers is eye-opening to them. Mm. And in conversation, being able to say that you fast and pray with the whole Jewish community on Yom Kippur is mind-blowing because Jewish people assume that Christians are fundamentally Mm anti-Semitic. So when they hear a Christian who talks about standing with the Jewish people, who loves the Jewish people, who's a supporter of Israel, and who even wants to align their own hearts with Jewish tradition, that can be quite profound. Although the religious Jewish people will find uh, a Christian who fasts on Yom Kippur a little bit impertinent. But you could always, you know, as a way of opening the door to uh, conversation, give a very traditional Jewish greeting, which is to wish them well on the fast. Mm. And that will let them know that you have an understanding of what the understand and what they do and it will be quite surprising to them that is awesome fiona so one final question for you how has prayer and fasting impacted your life as a jewish believer in jesus well i grew up in the brethren assemblies although i am a jewish believer um and so i don't remember being taught about fasting and our prayer was all extemporary. There was, there was no liturgy. But as I've come into a more messianic Jewish lifestyle, I've embraced liturgy and I've embraced fasting. And for all of the reasons above, they have both helped me shape my spiritual life. And I love the rhythm of the Jewish life cycle, the way in which it takes you through a life cycle in your faith. And Jewish people, every Saturday that I'm in our Messianic congregation, pray prayers of repentance. Repentance isn't limited to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But fasting on that day and the preparation of those 10 days of all that lead up to it in terms of, I once nicknamed um, 
the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, as the day when we begin our spiritual MOT. And we've got 10 days to kind of put ourselves through with a little bit of spiritual rigor. Yeah. Some challenges about where we're at, really at with our lives. Because I think sometimes we can get so busy, particularly for those of us in ministry, or for those of you who have families, who live busy lives, we can get so busy with those things. Fasting, particularly on Yom Kippur, is that 25-hour lens through which I get to examine my heart and my life. And that's only at the end of the day for my benefit. God doesn't ask me to fast for his benefit. He asks us to fast for our benefit. Fiona, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, you've given us some really enlightening thoughts on prayer and fasting, and I know this episode is going to bless a lot of people. So we really appreciate you uh, just joining us for this discussion and lending your insight. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 As we approach our Father in heaven, let us remember that we do not need to engage in spiritual disciplines to earn his love. Rather, we engage in prayer and fasting because we love him and desire to posture our hearts to draw close to him, just as Yeshua did when he was on earth. Yeshua was one with his Father. And we can have this oneness too as we humble ourselves through prayer, acknowledging that we need his help in all things and through fasting, posturing our hearts to forsake the comforts of this world and allow only him to satisfy us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope featuring Chosen People Ministries staff member Fiona Sarbala. This episode was co-written and co-produced by Nicole Vaca and Grace Swee and edited by Grace Swee. This episode was also made possible thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Rachel Larson, Kyron Bautista, and John Bautista. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. See you next time.